Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Daphne. And I'm Ilaria. And today's guest I'm so excited for is the incredibly talented Chanel Jones. She's a journalist and co-host of the third hour of the Today Show. That's right. She Not only is she part of the Today Show team, but she also co-hosts Sirius XM's Off the Rails with Al Roker and Dylan Dreyer. And she also hosts Through Mom's Eyes. This is a digital series with Today where she visits the mothers of celebrities to talk about their famous offspring, through mom's eyes. And this was actually one of my favorite parts of our conversation, hearing some of the great advice that she got and sort of the habits and tactics of parents, of children who have really gone on and, and you know, harnessed their own talents and harnessed their gifts and and taken risks and made, made big names for themselves. Um, and it's really, really interesting to get to see and hear from the parents who are so proud of them, uh, you know, what the little sort of rituals and, and, uh, ideas that they shared with their kids from a young age had been. You're going to hear us laughing about some stuff, having some serious conversations, having some very perplexing conversations like where in the world is she right now? She might not even know. <laughs> Sit back and enjoy our conversation with Chanel. Mom, play. Hi, everybody. My name is Chanel Jones. It's interesting because when people introduce themselves, it's kind of how they define themselves, Right. I'm a mom first. I have seven-year-old twins, boy-girl twins, and a 10-year-old big brother. Um, I anchor the third hour of the Today Show. And I'm also a wife. And my husband's probably in the other room going, you just named me last. But um, but that's good. (laughs) And every day I wake up and every day, just like a lot of you listening, I juggle. Every day I juggle. Um, Some days I drop some things, but you know what? I just pick them up and I just keep on juggling because that's what we do. Where can we follow you? Where can we just... Pay attention. Yes, please follow me um, on Instagram. It's at Chanel underscore O. I got the name before I recognized what Instagram was all about. So I probably would have made it easier. Um, and my name's a little tricky to spell. So just Google it. It's she in L Magazine. That's how you spell Chanel. I've never been in L Magazine, but that's how you spell my name. Um, so it's S H E I N E L L E. Chanel underscore O. And please, yay. That would be awesome. How are you holding up at home with all the kids? Um, it's funny you mentioned that. So I literally just finished recording another interview for the show. And my I put chairs along the bottom of the stairs. So they know that means don't come down. And now they like to step over the chairs. I'm like, that's the whole point of this is so that you don't make more so noise. Then, <laughs> right. So then literally while I was interviewing Pat Oswald about his Netflix special, my seven-year-old twin comes over here and he goes, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm like, okay. And then I'm doing this. <laughs> I know, but I'm hungry. <laughs> Can't wait to see that that segment. You know what? I feel like though at this point everybody just expects they get it. it. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's just there's nothing, there's really nothing that you can do about it. I almost think it's nicer with especially with hosts that like you know and you love and you've watched on TV for years. Like there's something really refreshing, kind of wonderful to see you <laughs> yeah. at home and like juggle your seven-year-old. It's like, no, no, mom, drop everything. Yeah, Hold, pause like, the interview. Yeah, yeah. I'm hungry. I know what you're doing, but what I'm trying to tell you is that I'm hungry. <laughs> Do you want me to starve, mommy? What kind of mommy are you? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not even kidding. I literally, today, this morning, I looked over because they know at 9.30, 9.45, they can come downstairs. So I'm like, you can do breakfast. You're old enough. You're fine because I have three little ones, right? I looked up and my seven-year-old was eating Lucky Charms and tortilla chips for breakfast. I was like, you know what? I Ooh. need to, to relax. This is not right. Salty, this sweet. is not good. I don't want that. First of all, I probably shouldn't have the stuff in the house. But in my moments of weakness, I'm like, ooh, that looks good. And so she <laughs> literally had a bowl of tortillas with some Lucky Charms. And I was like, okay. Tortillas as a spoon? Like, was that the move? No, no, just some chips <laughs> and then some Lucky Charms. Like, <laughs> breakfast of champion, mom of the year. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's right so funny. Wait, we, they can't, they they know they can't come down till 930. How can I make that rule in my house? Well, because it's a s- small window. So up until I go on the air right at nine, are you kidding me? It's like, everybody's oh. all over the place. And then like the one other day, my, my director said, I literally heard mommy, but I'm not, I'm mom, mom in three, two. And I'm like, you know, so, but then once nine o'clock rolls and I'm horrible, like 
We've tried to not give them as much technology, but it's been really hard because there's nothing else to do. So I literally have cell phones and I'm like passing them out and I'm like, just don't come downstairs. <laughs> they, they come down. You're just like, throw one. Yeah, you like, take, this take this one. You take, take this. this. I look, it's sad. Again, I'm really sounding like a wonderful mother. No, you got to do what you no, got to do. Are you, know you kidding? You're like running your life from your living room the whole time. It's amazing. It is amazing. What was that transition like? I mean, how did you... I mean, I think all of us at the very beginning of quarantine were kind of like, how long is this going to go on for? Is this a one-week yeah. fix? Is this a two-week fix? You know, what's happening? How how quick was sort of your whole um, operation taken online and what does it look like now right. two or three months in? It's so interesting you use the word operation. So I had a tiny little polyp on my vocal cord. So before COVID and all that, I was like quarantining before quarantining was cool. So I was wow. off for six weeks to recover from surgery and I remember thinking, when else in life am I going to get six weeks off? This was back in March. So I remember asking my ENT, I'm like, I wanted to go to Miami. I wanted to go to the beach. And she was like, eh, there's this thing. It's called COVID. We're not really sure. You might not want to fly. So I was like, okay, because I live in the city. I'm like, where can I drive and get to a beach that's safe? And she was like, well, have you ever been to like the coastal areas of South Carolina? And I was like, no. So we got in the car, drove nine hours and got an Airbnb. I'm not even kidding. And found this beautiful place. And that was March. And we've been here ever since. Stop it. You never went back? We're still here. Wait, that's incredible. Like, I didn't even know. And I feel ignorant. I mean, I'm from Wichita, Kansas. So who do I think I am? But I didn't really know they had space like this in South Carolina. But it was, she was right. They're like beautiful beaches. So, and we were going to just be here for eight days. And then we got, um, it was supposed to be spring break. And then we got a message from the school that they were going to start doing distance learning. And so then we were like, well, why would we? Right. Go back. go back. Right. <laughs> we just extended it for one more month. You packed for a one-week We packed vacation. for eight days. Eight days. <laughs> so what have you been living in? What's happening over there? People don't... My whole face is Walgreens. Like, I'm not even I kidding. Like, from lashes to ponytails, between Target, Rent the Runway... Um, that's pretty much where I live. Like, like, we've just made it work. And then my husband went back to the city to get our car... Um, and I was like, I need clothes. Like, can you just grab a bunch of my clothes from the closet? And he's like, well, how am I supposed to? So we FaceTimed and I just had him like grab a bunch of tops and I oh. listen. Wait, in, in this day and age, you actually don't need to wear pants. Oh yeah. Like I, please, you should see. <laughs> what, what is that? Oh, that could either be like a really cool knee high boot or like a fuzzy <laughs> sock. What is no, that? These are the most comfortable fuzzy socks you've ever seen in your life. And like when I'm doing all this breaking news, it just makes me feel warm and happy yeah. inside. Like, it's like <laughs> ridiculous. How's your health now? Are you, are you doing better? How's your throat? Much better. So in some ways it's been a, a gift because it was a lot. Like I, um, I didn't even realize it was like a slow, I kept losing my voice. I'm like, why am I losing my voice all the time? Like, and my voice would sound raspy sometimes. I couldn't figure it out. And one of my producers was like, you should go to an ENT. And I'm like, really? And sure enough, it was like a little, it's like tinier than like the tip of a pen, but your vocal cords are so sensitive that like it was just enough to where it was causing my voice to sound just at times it would get raspy. Like I just couldn't, I didn't know when it was going to like fall out, mm -hmm. if you will. So in some ways it's been a gift because, you know, being here and this, I'm not flying around all over the place. I'm still busy and I'm still doing all these interviews, but I'm not flying all over and I'm not, you know, shuffling all over town. So in some ways it's been like an extended time of healing, if you will. So during your healing process, I mean, you sound perfect now. Was was there a time when you couldn't speak? Like, what was that? What was the whole healing process like? Yeah, three weeks of no talking. So, wow. um, what was that like? Parenting? Wait, wow. It was. And it's. <laughs> I should write something on it. It was one of those things where at first it was funny. The first couple of days. So, well, the first five days, I checked into a hotel in the city. Looking back, it was the best thing I could have ever done. Right. Now, when else am I going to be able to do that? I checked into a hotel and my stepmom you know, came in from Philly. She's in Philly and we're in the city. So she watched him for the first week. And then my husband's father came in for the second week. And so then for the third week, my husband had to just do it on his own. I had like a memo board. Um, I had like an electronic memo board. The kids, it was funny at first, like we'd write messages. But after like a week of it, it's kind of scary in some ways. And then the kids are like over it. So that's when it started to get a little bit more difficult. Mm -hmm. And then it plays with your mind. Like I've been talking since I was how old. And then all of a sudden you're told not to speak or you'll really mess it up. If you think about it, if you get a cut, you know, you don't want to talk on it because it'll, you know, it right. needs to heal. Um, so, but in other ways, it was actually a gift because 
I, you're forced to listen more than you ever thought you could. Um, and so with the kids, I feel like I had even more, I guess, one-on-one time with them because we would do the memo board and they would tell me about their day and what happened and, and you can really hear them. And I would like stare at them and I was all emotional anyway, because I couldn't talk. And I wouldn't actually trade that time that I had with them because, um, I feel like even now they're a little bit more expressive with me before, you know, a lot of times with kids, it's all right, go do this, go do that. How was your day? Okay, good. But I didn't have anywhere to go. So it was just, and mommy, this happened. And then when Lila said, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then they're just having to fill the space because you can't talk. So it's really, it was really in some ways, very special to hear them do that. What was it like to speak after all of that time? For the, were you like, I just want to continue with the silence or you're like, I'm going to start speaking and speak really fast and never stop speaking? Right. So full disclosure, um, my first ENT appointment, it was three weeks. So I was like, I thought in three weeks, you know, I would be fine. And so I had my husband come with me to my appointment, um, Park Avenue. We had my cell phone and we were going to put it on Instagram, right? So I was like, this is going to be my moment. Everybody knows I've had surgery. Like, I'm going to be like, hi, everybody. <laughs> so we got there and the ENT was like, just go. And I went, and, I was like, and then he was like, just say I was walking down the street and I was like, it was so bad. I started crying. My husband was like, yeah, let's put that. It's like down. she forgot how to speak. It's like, it wasn't ready. Like, so then oh it got, then I was scared. Like, cause then I was like, what if it didn't work or what else am I going to do? Like in life? Like I can't. sew. like, what am I going to do? Um, and so I've had intense therapy. I mean, I was having it before, but up until last week where I graduated, I've been going several times a week. And then now I've been doing like several times a week over um, like Zoom calls where you do all these exercises. I have a straw here where I do like throat exercises. Like I literally had to rehab my voice. Oh, I thought in three so weeks I was just going to be fine. Well, you sound great now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a lot. It's so funny. Like I don't take my voice for granted anymore. Like I have had to do so many, so much, like even before talking to you guys, I'm like doing all these exercises and the kids, when they hear me going mum before the show, they know I'm warming up. I mean, it's been a whole journey. And all of that was literally, I remember my last week of recovery, they're starting to talk about COVID and it, and it was a thing. And I'm like, I, this is too much. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it was like, so when I came back to work on the air after this medical leave, you know, they were already, you know, on the front lines and Stephanie Rule was talking finances. Craig Melvin was placed. Savannah was upstate New York. Like everybody already had their like zones of coverage. So I feel like I was coming in kind of late. Hot right? from South Carolina. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> so then I was like, I called our executive producer and I'm like, is it okay if I just stay in South Carolina? And they were like, well, the other people have like teleprompters and like we've, you know, set up cameras or whatever. And I was like, well, I'm willing to try it. What can I do? And so they sent me, they literally have a light ring, a cell phone. This is what I broadcast out of every morning on the Today Show, like literally just oh this camera. God, this is so and incredible. I attach it to my light ring. And then I have this tablet that I use for my monitor. And then I have one more tablet that my 10-year-old has taken um, that I use for my teleprompter. And I literally just like, it's so janky. I like just find books and like have it propped up like right by the camera. So you can't tell that I'm not looking directly there. And it's been fine. Well, that's what was really incredible. I mean, right at the start of COVID, you know, uh, my dad kind of set up this like studio in our basement to try to, I mean, he ended up doing whole segments, basically entire shows from this, you know, five by six square kind of situation. And it was really eye-opening of, of, you know, is it the most pizzazzy, incredible television you've ever seen? No, but there's something really human about it. And and that human touch, I think, is almost more valuable in times like this where you really want people to tell you what they're thinking. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, to, and you, there's something really just, I don't know, um, like as warm as it can be and as, it, as, as comforting as it can be, there was something really nice about that too. And it was also just cool to see like how much you can get done with so little, you know what I mean? Two, right? two iPads and two phones and you're like, it's here like I go. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and then I see some of my colleagues and they've got like a full on thing and I'm like, either I'm Cinderella or I'm really awesome like in making this happen, like one or the other. But it was my choice to stay down here. So, But also kudos to you for saying, look, I'm game to try. Like I'm game to, if it doesn't look right or it doesn't sound right, then like whatever. But like I'm game to give it a go. And I feel like like that kind of, I'd love you to talk a little bit about, you know, your, your sort of path in news media and your, um, your journey there, because I do think having the, 
the guts to be like, you know what? I, I don't care if it's not perfect. Like I want to just try it. It's such yeah. a probably perfect um, granular instance of what you've done throughout your career. So I'd love to hear a little yeah. bit about how that happened. It's funny that you mentioned that because I think that's just, especially as a mom, that's what you do, right? You're like, well, okay, let's just, let's just make it work. Let's just figure it out. That's what you do. So for me, um, let's see, gosh, I went to Northwestern, graduated in 2000. So that means this year it's 20. Oh, this was our 20 year. Amazing. Oh, oh what wow. if we're going to have it? I just thought about that. Um, so my first. <laughs> my, my guess is no. <laughs> no. <laughs> be on Zoom. Darn it. Dang. It's okay. Everybody knows you look good. Everybody knows no, you look good. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> I like you. Actually, I'm just looking forward to the games and all that. Anyway, so um, first job was Springfield, Illinois, right out of college. I was a one-man band. You know, you have your camera, you have your all that. Uh, and I was like a morning reporter for the NBC affiliate. And then I became the morning anchor there in Springfield, Illinois. Then Tulsa, Oklahoma, I was weekend anchor, and then 5 p.m. anchor. And then Philadelphia, I was a morning reporter and then morning anchor. I did that for nine years um, in Philly. And then I got wow. the job at the Today Show as a weekend news reader. Uh, and then eventually weekend news anchor. And then now the nine o'clock hour. So but did they just call you out of the blue or like, I mean, even the first anchor job you got, like, did you know that was coming? What was the phone call? Like? Oh, no, no, no. So like you send out, I remember my first job, I think I sent out like 94 VHS tapes oh, and I got wow. one oh and I got one call back, Beckley, oh West Virginia. Goodness. I never forget. I was like, Beckley, what's, I didn't even know that was a thing. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and so right when I was going to take Beckley, I, I saw something online for Springfield, Illinois, and it was like a one-man band. And I was like, I can't be Oprah holding my own camera. I was like, how's this going to work? But I was like, I'd rather be in Springfield, Illinois. Sorry, Beckley. Anybody listening to Beckley? I'm so sorry. In West Virginia, I'm sure it's a beautiful place, but it was a little closer to Chicago. Springfield was. So anyway, but um, so I took that job and they say, ask for what you want, take what you get, use what you get to get what you want. And that's just kind of how I did it just all the way. And then I had three kids in there somewhere. Wow. It's about patience and living the process, no? I think so. I look back and there were times when I remember, I can't remember what airline it was, and on the back of a napkin, they would have these little dots where all their, you know, their little hubs mm-hmm, spots. Mm-hmm. And I would look at the back of the napkin and wonder where I would end up. Like, I would be like, man, like, how's this not going to work? Like, I know I want to do TV news, but like, how does this work? Like, do you get married? And then when do you have your kids? Like, how does it work? And you look back and you know what? It works. It all you, works. You figure it out. Yeah. You, you just have to be intentional kind of about what you know you want, but. Right. And have you, I mean, balancing work and, and kids for, for anybody is, is really challenging, but putting the whole, I don't know where I'm going to be, the whole geographic thing on top of that and, and crazy hours. I mean, Absolutely. in your field, you guys work really, really, really crazy hours. Yeah. How do you, how do you balance that with your kids? It was, so I had my kids when I was in Philadelphia. So at the time I was a morning anchor. Um, and I was waking up at 3.15 in the morning, oh my God. every morning. So I did 3.15 a.m. for almost 10 years. Um, I had my first and then I got pregnant with twins. Um, and I look back on that time and it was like the best of times, but the foggiest of times. Like I don't, sometimes I look back and I'm like, I don't know how I did it. Like one of my co- uh, colleagues, Dylan Dreyer, she's nursing now and she has like the little portable things. Like, so she walks around, like walking the dog and, you know, while she's pumping, I'm like, <laughs> have that yeah like the progress over the last seven years I remember during commercial breaks I would like plop the pump on in the bathroom close the door and they would put a traffic and a weather a commercial break and another traffic and weather that would give me like 14 minutes to, to wow. pump and so as soon as we would go to commercial break I would run in the bathroom close the door and I'd be like just tell me I keep my IFB in my earpiece and I would say give me like just tell me when I have like a minute and a half left and so I would turn them on and she'd be like, five minutes, two minutes, one and a half. I'd be like, okay. <laughs> and I would come back and my co-host would be like, six ounces. I was like, six ounces, <laughs> three a piece. Like, oh. like, <laughs> Such a feeling of accomplishment. I know oh I, God, I, so I, you're like funny. taking me back. It's kind of post-trauma, but it's also like me too. very, very proud of myself. Very proud of you. Cause it is, it's also the stress. I noticed like, when that countdown was happening, I was like, mm, it's like trying to like squeeze out the last ounce, just like get out. And that's the point where you like you actually don't get a letdown because you're just so stressed out oh, about yeah. it. Oh yeah, about even hearing that gives me anxiety. Like right now, and I'm their taste. My oldest is ten now, and I'm still like, <gasps> what time would you go to bed? Uh, seven o'clock. Wow. And that's kind of like when the kids would go to bed, and yep. then you would, I would go, go to seven bed eight with o'clock. Them. Yep, we would always go, go to bed at the same time. Wow. Now was yeah. your husband in a night owl, or he went to he went to bed at seven too? Total night owl, and I feel bad because for a good decade he didn't have a wife after 
8 p.m. And the thing is, like, people are like, oh, well, you had your weekends. Are you kidding? Like, Fridays, you're dead. Like, you're just trying to, like, get enough to get back, you know, back on the horse for Monday. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was a lot. Like, I look back at pictures and I was like, man, like, we just make it work. And waking up in the middle of the night, nursing when you're getting up at three to go to work anyway, like, it was just, it's been a ride. That is so, (laughs) no, it's hard. I'm so proud of you for doing that. I think that's really, like, it is really taxing to your body. It is really taxing to your psyche. And it was valuable and important to you. I think that's, I mean, that is just like motherhood in a nutshell. It's amazing. I know. It's so true. So you, I feel like you've done like, I mean, such a, you've covered such a breadth of topics for today. And there's so many cool assignments we could ask you about. And I, I'm like curious if there's one that pops into your mind that is just like the coolest thing you've ever gotten to do on TV that you're so you know happy to have in your memory box. Um, but I also want to talk about your new series. Cause I think that uh, speaking of moms and what we do with moms, I think that it's a really um, you know, and, and through mom's eyes, it's a really cool perspective yes. to be able to talk to. Thank you for asking me about it. It is one of the most fulfilling things I have ever done in my 42 years of life. Um, so I remember when I got here to the Today Show, I think I thought, okay, you're at the Today Show. So like, you're kind of, you're good, right? But what happens is you get here and I'll just be really honest with you. You realize that like, no, you're not finished. Like, you know, Carson is doing The Voice and Hoda's got 18 books and Jenna's you know, writing books. And so people aren't just, you don't just get somewhere and stop, you know? So I had to do some soul searching because it was like, since I've been in fifth grade, this is kind of what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then you get here and then you're like, okay, so now what do I do with this? Mm -hmm. Right. And so I remember I, and I'm like, any intern will come over my house or I take them to lunch, like, cause I feel like people helped me. And so it was actually one of our interns. She, um, I had her at my house for, for dinner and she was like, you're always helping us. Like, what would you want to do? you know, in addition to the Today Show. And I said, oh, I don't really know. And I said, well, you know, I'm not, look, I'm not at the time, you know, I'm not, I'm not Savannah. I'm not, you know, I'm not there because um, I like where I am, but I still want to interview people, but I don't need to interview some A-lister every day. And she goes, well, what do you, who would you want to talk to? And I said, honestly, um, there are people who come on the show and I'm like, man, what did your mother feed you? Like, why are you so great? Right, like, right. And she was like, well, why don't you just, why don't you do that? And I was like, wait, maybe I could. Like, she was like, yeah. I was like, so any, any celebrity that I admire, like if Lord willing, the mother's around, I would love to talk to her and like ask her about her journey, you know? And it has been the most fulfilling thing. And I, my first mom was Steph Curry. Um, and I was, when the moms started saying yes, it was like, cause I one, they, once they see them and they recognize, I'm not trying to get dirt on your kid. Like, no. it's not even about that at all. Like, it's literally just, Hey, share the wealth. Like, how did you do it? You know, especially with, you know, the Steph Curry's of the world and Venus and Serena and Matthew McConaughey's mom was like one of my favorite, um, you know, all the, a lot of the NFL players, like I've just had such an awesome time and the way I've set it up now, who knows, but you know, it would be like a blind mom date, I would call it where I hadn't met them yet. Hadn't talked. And I literally would fly to their house, you know, ring their doorbell. And it was the first time we met and I just would sit down in the living room, have a great conversation. They'll take me around. Like a lot of the moms have these little shrines to their kids, you know, like with trophies, like Shaq's mom, she has a whole room with like, you know, trophies and stuff from when they were in middle school, you know? So it's been, and I've learned so much. Um, Cause I thought, what if I could interview a bunch of moms and then find a common thread with some of the things that they've learned, or especially some of the, you know, the, to success. Like, what did they do right? What did they do wrong? What would they do differently? And I really have found some. So I told myself that I was going to, when I was on medical leave, sit down and like, try to write about it. Um, and of course the days just went by. So, but I do eventually want to sit down and like put it together. Cause I really feel like I've learned a lot from them and I want to share what I've learned. What are like one or two of the, th- of the through lines that you think you've picked up on? Um, one is that it's okay to be strict as long as it's cloaked in love. Hmm. let's say a kid plays in makeup, right? There are some parents who'd be like, let's say your daughter gets in all your stuff. So you go into the bathroom and all your Mac makeup, your NARS, your stuff, it's just not cheap. It's just everywhere, right? There's some moms who would be like, Haley, you know, Lady Gaga's mom. Ooh, that's a pretty face. Let me see those cheeks. Let me see, let me, ooh, who are you today? Who are you dressing up? You know, just a tweak in but that takes patience. That takes, you know, a little bit of clarity that takes just relaxing and pushing back a little bit. A lot of deep breathing, a lot of deep breathing, but just, I mean, that's a random example or, um, you know, I feel like I, not that I'm a pushover, but I'm kind of easy. 
And I remember talking to Steph Curry's mom and she was like, you know, his dad was an NBA player and he was supposed expected to be a really good player. And I think it was like a middle school game or something like that. His first game. And everybody was like, oh my gosh, Steph Curry's probably going to be amazing. His dad was amazing, blah, blah. She did not let him play in that game because he didn't do the dishes the night before. And it was his turn. Wow. Like, I know me, I would have been like, next time. <laughs> but she was like, no, <laughs> you, this was your, and she's like, and then he, he would go to practice, but he would do the dishes, you know, like, so little things like that, you know, uh, I had another NFL, JJ Watts, like his mom was like chores. Everybody did them starting in fifth grade. Like, even if it's like, you know, we all do a dish or we all take our dishes. Like, and I have to be honest up until that moment, I just kind of do everything just cause it's easier. So, um, yeah, like, but little tidbits I've learned along the way that people have given me, I'm like, I should just sit down and write it all out. Do you feel because you have interviewed the mothers of all of these very successful people. Is there something about these mothers that you feel like helped shape them? Or do you feel like those were, there were their souls or was it that they let them be who they were? I think it's a concoction of all of those. And every time I think, okay, that's what it is, that it shifts on me a little bit, but there is certainly a common element of these moms left it all on the dance floor. So much so that they were very real about once the kids left the house, who am I? You know, and some of them wish miss it and want those days back of shuffling them to eight billion practices a day. Others are like, no, I don't, you know, I cherish that time, but now it's about me. So now mm -hmm. as a mom, I'm writing a book or now I'm doing this. So they all kind of look at that time differently, but they were all, all in. I haven't yeah. met one mom, you know, the Wahlbergs, like I just haven't met one mom who wasn't all in. Um, Interesting. And, and most of them worked. That's another thing. Like it wasn't just this, you know, oh, I'm not working. And so I'm here to bake cookies. All. It's not like that at all. Like these moms are working. They're shuffling things around. They're just making it work. And that was encouraging to me too, because the mom guilt is real. Absolutely. It's interesting because, you know, Daphne and I all both have um, little kids a little bit younger than your children. And, you know, you start to think about, obviously not now with COVID, but like extracurricular activities and should they be playing the piano? Should they be going to dance class? Should they be going to karate? Should they be le learning painting? And I see some of their friends who are so scheduled and it's all with this, you know, you see that there's some desire that the parents had that like, oh, my kid is going to mm -hmm. be really successful at whatever kind of thing. Um, but it's interesting to to kind of look like how much do you let them just be kids and let them play and how much do you sort of encourage and maybe even push yeah. whatever extracurricular activity they have? Yeah, that's a really good question. And look, some of them definitely pushed, but not to the point where it wasn't fun anymore. Serena Williams' right. mom said that. She was like, look, when they were on the tennis court, like, you know, Venus and Serena, like it was all about tennis. But when you come home and you're at the dinner table, it's not, oh, you should have done this or you should have done that. Now you're home. And so I put that in there because- you know, there are a lot of parents and dads too, where, you know, they're like living through their kids or they want them to be these rock star athletes, but it has to end and you have to just be mom or dad when the kids, you know, get home. It can't just go all the time. And I also think that all of the, so far, all of the people I've talked with, um, they all, all of the sons and daughters who are now celebrities felt affirmed. That's mm. a huge piece of it. Like they just felt, they felt safe. And I love that. We had, we had um, Dominique Dawes mm -hmm. on I mean, so inspiring. I remember, you know, I did gymnastics when I was little and I just thought that she was like absolutely, I mean, she not, I think she, it was fantastic, is fantastic. She's so inspiring. But one of the things that she has dedicated her life to is, uh, is sort of promoting kids just playing and kids just being kids because she didn't have a lot of that when she mm -hmm. was younger. So she's a big advocate for it. And it was just interesting to talk to somebody who is so um, successful and is so successful and to hear really about what, her, the reality of her, of her childhood was. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, I, the reality is, especially people I interview day in and day out, not everybody has some warm, fuzzy childhood. You know, it's not like that at all. Um, you know, Shaq's mom talked about how she was an alcoholic, frankly, and wow. she's open about that. And there was a time when he was really start, his star was starting to really shine. And he was like, mom, like, help me help you. Like, you know, wow. it's not, she just said, you know what, in that moment, she was like, you know, we've done all this. I don't want to ruin it for him. You know, and so she talked very openly about that. So it's not simple. You know, the Wahlbergs talk about, you know, not having a lot of money, you know, so it's certainly not about that. But in this case, the way it, and then it's kind of changed as I go because I get new ideas, you know, and I'm learning as I go. Um, so I have a feeling I'll probably shift a little bit. There are probably going to be some people who didn't have easy childhoods, you know, but it's just from what I've found so far, 
um, what, what I was looking for, I think I'm finding, which is just trying to find some common threads of what to do, what not to do. And frankly, not to feel so guilty. That's what they've all said. Like right. mom guilt is just a, oh. It's rough and it's real. And it's basically one of one of our like main topics that comes on this show every single time because we feel it every single day. I mean, it's like, we're never going to be enough and it's never going to be exactly right. And they're always going to look at us to it's kind of fix the fix the. We, they are going to look at us to fix it, but I also think you know not like you said not every one of those uh, you know now highly successful people had blissful childhoods where they had you know tons of classes and tons of you know like every nice wonderful you know thing set up for them, and they still they not just persevered they really thrived and excelled. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're living through a really deeply troubling and challenging and thought-provoking and upsetting time right now. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of us as parents, the first thing we think of is like, what is this going to do to our kids, you know? Mm -hmm. But listening to you, it makes me think that kids are so much more resilient than we give them credit for. And I wonder- They are. I wonder how you're feeling in this right now, if like, if that gives you comfort, if there's anything you're doing differently with your kids because of the conversations you've had. Absolutely. I mean, look, we got here in March and what month is this? (laughs) My kids haven't yeah, my kids, when we, when we, she when, still doesn't know what town she is in, by the way. And that is so true. Somebody was like, where are you? And I was like, I'm not quite sure. But lovely artwork. Um, I was going to say, my daughter, Clara, had her little backpack. When she left the house, if she didn't know we were going to be gone for months, she probably would have tried to bring her dollhouse and everything else. Like they have been away from home for almost four or five months. Like, and before this is all over with, you know, almost five, six months. Um, yeah. And so I wondered, you know, I'm always kind of looking to make sure they're fine. I'm thankful they have each other. Um, and thank goodness we have Zoom and, you know, Skype and because she's got a Skype play date in a couple hours or a Zoom play date. You know, mm. at least they're still able to kind of see their friends. Right. But to be away from home, distance learning, you know, all the protests and stuff that are happening. I'm, in, I'm on the news. So they're very well aware of all that that's happening. I tried to shield them and that didn't work. So it's a lot has happened over the last four months. It's been insane. And yet they're okay. What kind of conversations are you guys, are you having with your kids to have them understand what's going on right now? So they were very well, they talked about the, um, the coronavirus in school. So they were aware that it was kind of a thing. Um, but I underestimated to the point where not too long ago, I went out to do something and my little guy, my seven-year-old was like, oh, it's like coronavirus, you can't leave. And I'm like, no, buddy, no. it's fine. I've got my mask. So they're definitely you know, there's like a community swimming pool here. And there's another friend of ours who has like a private pool. They won't, they're scared to go to the main pool. They're like, no, Corona. You know, so there, I noticed that they were afraid. So I was like, okay, let's right. talk about it. Because mm-hmm. at first I have to be honest. I thought, let's just not talk about it and let's just be. But no, I could tell it was starting to rent space in their heads. So we've definitely talked about it. We have our masks. Um, they, they, you know, they haven't gone anywhere. I'll be honest. Like they play outside and they're in here. But I told them like, you know, when we get back to New York City you're going to have to wear your mask or, you know, my daughter used to like to come with me to Whole Foods or go to the grocery store and now don't let her, you know, so she longs to come to the store with me. Um, so, and even I'm a little nervous. I'm like, I need a mask that fits your face, you know, so it's a new normal, if you will. Um, <clears throat> the protests and stuff that are happening, you know, they hear me talking about it. They, they can read, they saw it on the screen. So we've talked a lot about that. Um, so much so that I got a really nice note from a friend of mine who's a mommy blogger um, and she overheard before school was out, Clara, my daughter, my seven-year-old, was talking about the protests in social studies. And apparently, um, once some of the kids brought it up and the teacher said, well, what do you guys know about it? And my daughter's buddy was like, oh, they were burning things and flipping over cars. And then my daughter said, well, but it was more than that. They were protesting because they felt like things were unjust and they weren't right, you know, whatever. And so she sent me a text and she said, I just want you to know your daughter was the only one her and another little brown girl who even knew what was going on. And she said, it let me know that seven years old was old enough to have a discussion age appropriate. Mm-hmm. And after that class, my daughter came up to me and said, well, why is Claire the only no- one that knows what happened? What happened? And she was like, and ask me tough questions. Um, so it was affirming to me because I was like, okay, she's seven, but it was enough. I gave her enough that she could handle. And then she felt good being able to talk about it in class and she's fine. You know, they can handle it. They'd rather yeah. that than, you know, us, oh, and then turn the TV off and then she can't know. They can sense right. that as well. So I think both Daphne and I, but I know my family, we've been doing a lot of listening right now, which is what has been, I've been asked right now. So no matter how liberal you are, no matter how much, you know, how many events and how many charities and how many this, mm-hmm. and you live your life well and raise your children well, 
that there needed to be more listening going on right now. Mm. And mm. so I've been doing a lot of listening. And I think one of the things that I've taken away is that I needed to start having conversations with my kids earlier. Mm. And so, I mean, I've even taken my three-year-old aside and we, you know, I, I don't want to say that I was raising my kids colorblind, but it was just one of those things where it just wasn't an issue. We live yeah. in New York. They're so different. <laughs> Their kid, they're, my kids go to school where we speak only in Spanish 90% of the time. You know what I mean? They're, we're, we're an extremely diverse school. There's people of every single color and religion and yeah. sexual orientation. And I realized I was in my bubble and mm. I was raising my kids in my bubble. And so I had to start making them aware from listening, from people, of getting advice from people of what was happening in the greater country and the yeah. bigger parts of the country. Um, are you, do you feel like um, there are conversations other than, you know, the protests and stuff like that's having on, but just about the, the, the greater topic and especially the fact that you are a black mother? Absolutely. You- do you know what I would ask? I would ask anyone listening to me right now, if you have a daughter and you have, and she has dolls, I want you to do some soul searching and tell me if she, and and ask yourself if she has a doll that's brown. If you have children's books right now, it doesn't need to be a book about race by any means. What kid has a book about, I mean, some kids do, but just a random book where the main character just happens to be brown. I think there was one book my kids loved, please, baby, baby, please. I think it's like a Spike Lee book or something like that. And it has nothing to do with race. The little baby drops peas and it's like, please, baby, baby, please pick up the peas (laughs) or, you know, whatever it is. So it has nothing to do, but the little character just happens to be brown or my daughter, she loves to wear these little Afro puffs. And so one day she asked me if she could just wear it out, right? With a headband. And she thought it was so cute. And she goes to school in the village in New York. And she got to school and some of the white boys were calling, the white boys were calling her Puffhead. And she came home crying and, you know, the, the teacher was like horrified. And they didn't mean it in any, they just, I mean, it's just how it comes out of her head. But I thought, you know, and some of the girls were wanting to touch it, you know, so I think she just came home and she was like, she had left so proud and excited and came home feeling kind of small. And it broke my heart. I was like, God, I knew this was maybe going to happen one day, but I didn't know in second grade, but I guess why not? So for me, as a mom of a little girl of color, it's like, well, if you had some of the Barbies that don't all have the hair that you comb, because they sell the Barbies with just like the little froze mm-hmm. or whatever, then it's not so foreign when a little girl like, you know, Clara comes into the classroom. Like it becomes, it's a little bit more normalized, um, you know, with your dolls. So for, because especially for a black mom, we're so careful, right? Like to the point where all of our, all my friends who are black, like, all our doll, all our daughters want to just go to the other friend's house so they could play with something besides black dolls. Like we went to the other end of this <laughs> extreme just because we were like, you're going to love yourself and you're going to love your hair. You know, um, <laughs> one of my girlfriends called me and she's like, my daughter was just like, mommy, can I please have a white doll? Like, please. <laughs> yeah. Like we're like, oh my God, we're like doing the opposite. We're the worst. We were just trying to like make them know that they're beautiful, you know, all these things. So it's like, it's just, but I feel like it seems so simple, but like, just look at your kid's collection. And the next time you bring her home an LOL doll, just have it be a brown one. Like it's no big deal at all, but just to infuse it. And that's not having some conversation about racism. It's not having some deep discussion about George Floyd or protests. It's just infusing other things into their little matrix, if that makes any sense. And it's something that we can all do. If you have a friend who's registered for books and she's pregnant, slip in some other books. And again, they just, it's, it's a small thing, but you know, you shouldn't go into a bookstore in Barnes and Noble and just see one section for like African-American books, right? Like it should, they should just be infused in my opinion sometimes. I mean, it's so good to have a section, but for kids books in particular, I've noticed that we can go now and we have a whole section. It's like hair products. Like I know right where to go when I go to CVS, I know right where to go, bottom two shelves. Like we know where to go, right? Right. How about we put them with the pantene? Like, why can't we, you know, so I think of the same way with kids toys. Like it seems really simple, but I feel kind of passionate about it, obviously. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Like it's just easy. We had such a cool conversation talking about how everything for kids is representational. It's all through play. That's how they learn. Mm. And so like, it's so small, of course it's small, but it's, and it's manageable. Like everyone can do it, but it means everything because then it's just part of their natural view of the world, you know? And Mm -hmm. I, like, I'll never forget my, um, my aunt adopted a little girl from Ethiopia, actually. And uh, my daughter, when she was maybe three, Charlotte's like four years older than she is, would watch her getting her hair brushed out and like the whole process of it. And it was just mm-hmm. like, 
she loved she wanted she was like oh, why don't I get this whole process like why don't I get you know <laughs> yeah. and it was it was it was but it was it is it, a process it is a yes. process that I like you know I I, I you know it, it's it's a very long intense process <laughs> but it was something that was so beautiful to see because it was like it was such something so fun for Charlotte that Philomena really loved to be a part of for her and mm. it was um it just again it just something that so simply resonates for little kids of oh, it's just like, you know, I do this for my hair. I do this for my hair. And that's one element, but you can actually extrapolate from that. Um, I'm, I'm so. curious, and you don't have to answer, obviously, but I'm just curious because it is something that we're talking about with moms. And it's something that I'm curious if someone, if your mom or someone close to you, did, did or do you feel like you approach race the same way they do or talking to your kids about race the same way they do? Or did you feel like you had to tweak things now for like the current era? Yeah. I, well, I feel like my mom did a much better job than I did, really? but it's because of how I grew up. Absolutely. So I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, and it's a smaller community. I think it was what, 300, 400,000 people. So what I recognize for better or worse, I will say this, is that even though my school was very integrated, I mean, our school looked like Greece, like it was just like stereotypical high school in the Midwest. <laughs> um, but like with church and like some of the community groups and like the community parades and for Black History Month, my mom is a music teacher or is a, is a, is a drama teacher. So she's into like spoken word. And so she was always like dressing up as characters and having us, you know, memorize who's Harriet Tubman, who's Carter G. Woodson, who's Benjamin Banneker. So like I grew up knowing all of these things and it was just how I grew up. And I feel like in some ways we've moved backwards in that because we're so, we want our kids to feel like they're a part of everything. And, you know, I'm in New York city, like they live in a diverse city. They take the train every day. You almost think mistake. It was a mistake, but you think you don't need to do all of that because they live it. Everybody else has it, right? Everybody like, every, has, the here, has it. You right? got it. You don't have to do it. Check. Right. But what I, the mistake I made 2020 hindsight, and they're still young. So I've already started to course correct is that by learning the, about those women and by learning about Madam C.J. Walker and by learning about all of these women in you know, Black history and men or whatever, it was affirming me. It was building me up to know who I am. And so I've never felt like less than or I've never felt any kind of way. And what I recognized is by, especially because my daughter's in a, you know, my kids are in a private school where there's like maybe a few out of, you know, in a class, I have to make sure that she has all of that so that she doesn't feel small when someone says puff. It's instead of, oh, it's yeah. It is. Do you want to touch? Like I was like, you know, and I had other friends who looked like, you know, so that's the challenge I think for us is as we move, you know, I'm probably in a place that maybe my mom couldn't have afforded, frankly. Um, but because now we're in these communities, we have to do a better job. A lot of us feel like as, as African-American parents to make sure that they still see each other and they feel affirmed and that they know their history and all of that. This whole thing has taught us that. So just like you're listening, we're having to do some soul searching too. Yeah. It's beautiful to actually think about like what you just said, the uh, going back to sort of the lessons you learned from the, you know, the parents of, of um, celebs that we were talking about earlier. Like it all goes back to how do you give your kids this deep sense of who they are, this deep sense mm -hmm. of what makes them special, this deep sense of all the things that feed into them that make them different. We're not like one, you know, one body where we're all, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's every person is an individual. And I think that that's I struggle with that so much because I, you know, we have, I have four kids, six and under. So they're kind of like this, you know, crew, but I try to give them this individual time whenever I can, if it's 10, 15 minutes, just to make them feel like the, you're the only you ever, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I try to think of it as like the A team, right? Like, so you've got this skill set, you've got this talent, you've got this, you've got Mr. T. I don't even know anything about the A team, but like, they're all different. <laughs> But you need them all, right? Like exactly you need them right. all to go kick ass somewhere. Exactly like you can't right. just have the chain. You need something with fire and water. I don't know. So I try to tell us, like tell the kids, like, you know, you're all different, but we're all a family. We're a unit, right? So this, we need you to do this and we need you to do that. Like uh, we're a team. Let's go okay. kick butt. You know what I mean? <laughs> Kicking ass, taking names. My husband on our wedding rings and it's our motto for our whole family is so much important to keep We're a good team. Ah, and anytime, that. anytime anything happens in the family, I just go, I look and I say, so much important to and they're like, okay, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is your favorite thing? You know what I really love? I actually had to slow down on the chai tea lattes with soy milk because mm. then I was like, oh, soy, soy, soy. So now I've tried chai tea lattes with almond milk, which is just as fine. Um, and now, actually right now I have chai tea lattes with um, rice milk. Like I'm playing around with milks. Mm -hmm. um, but for some, I don't drink coffee. So for me, like the chai tea in a cup, it just makes me feel like it's like vacation in a cup. So it's quite delightful. 
Um, Any but I had brand, to slow down. A brand of chai tea that you like? I just found this. I don't even know if it's Tazo or what, but they have a skinny chai now. So I don't have to yes. feel as guilty. Most people <laughs> probably, that, that means you just do one cup. But for me, I'm like, now I can have two for the price of one. That's, that's how math works. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can drink two cups of this. Um, so yeah, no, I just, it makes me happy. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank happy you. summer. I hope you happy actually get summer. to travel a little bit around South Carolina <laughs> Enjoy whatever's going on down there. Whatever's amazing. The beach is amazing. Yay! So that was our conversation with Chanel Jones, such an inspiring mom. I mean, and and just like has had this amazing career that has taken her across the country and let her let her really in this latest incarnation bring out this content that is such a clearly such a passion for her and such a cool opportunity to to dive deep with these uh with the other mothers and with um with women that I you know I think have a lot to say about about intentional parenting even if they didn't know in the moment what they were doing. So like thing like the story that she shared about um about not letting your kid play in the game if they didn't live up to their chores the night before or like these little things where parent you know certainly I you know I don't want to disappoint my kids. I don't want to make them sad. I don't want to you know steal an opportunity from them. So I make their lives easy and I don't you know don't make them have to be responsible for things. And granted our kids are really little right now and you know I think I think as they get older, we have the opportunity to bring these things in. And I think it's really important. It, it makes kids feel so much more empowered and um, and valued when they're actually expected to live up to the, you know, the the appropriate rules and and obligations you set for them. Just so cool. And I also just like, you know, I think that the conversation around um around how she was talking with her daughter about dealing with, you know, rude comments at school or uh, upsetting circumstances or upsetting uh, interactions, period, I thought was such a smart and thoughtful way of – and even, you know, when Chanel was talking about herself growing up in Kansas, how her how her mother would talk to her about um, race and how she would feel about herself, like such such a powerful, I think, important message that we all just can take on and and – you know, continue to find ways in our own lives to give to our kids of how do you make kids feel really special? How do you make kids see and and be able to visualize what they want to grow into and um and and understand how how proud they should be of them of them as their little selves and and to grow that little seed as they become their, you know, fully fledged adult forms. And I think that that's really um something that I think about all the time with my kids. Uh, you know, how do I how do I set them up for success in a way that really starts at the at the core from being really um, with happy with who they are and confident with who they are, um, so that they can you know mature into into all that they can be. On Mom Brain, it's all about bringing everybody together and kind of getting our wisdom. So I love that she's tapping into the moms that raised these people. I feel like that's you know a, a really a really beautiful way of of kind of going at the same the same feeling that we're trying to achieve here right now. You know, let's go, let's go back to the original wisdom. And these are these people who have accomplished great things. And, and what was it about how they were raised that either contributed to that or shaped it or, or just helped it? Um, so no, she was, I'm, I'm, it was such a lovely thing. As she said, it was kind of like therapy and just like, we're all together and like oh, laughing and it was like so nice. <laughs> she got so it. Was, she totally I, she, understands. She got, she got it. She gets it. It was amazing. I would like to, we should have a, a conversation with her like once a week and we will just be happier people in the world. <laughs> so no, um, it was, it was great. We hope you guys really enjoyed it. And now it's time for our favorite things. time for our favorite thing. Yes! All right, Daphne, as we know, I am having a baby in like, I don't know, two and a half months, something like that. I was thinking the entire pregnancy, like, I've had a million children. I don't really need to get anything. It's going to be absolutely fine. But I literally Google baby essential, newborn essentials, and I'm like, oh, so I uh, have no clothes for the baby. So I've been looking up um, lots of different brands, and there's one called Snuggle Me Organic. Oh, I know all about it. <laughs> oh my God. It is so cute. Their stuff is incredible. And they have this little like nest cocoon thing that's like mm, game changer. I bought it. Oh, I the, bought I'm it. I'm so, so excited. I'm so excited. And you know that I sleep with my babies in the bed with me. So I love the idea of like putting that in, in the middle of the bed. 
Um, so anyway, no, I'm so excited. The, the, like, the stuff is so, like, delicious, and I love the colors, and it looks really soft, and they had a really beautiful Moses basket because I got rid of all my Moses baskets. So anyway, I'm getting excited about starting to, like, nest and bring things in because also with with COVID, everything, it takes a lot longer to get here, you know, so you have to, like, plan ahead. So, and I'd be the kind of person that I'd, like, forget, and then I'm going to the hospital, and, like, there's nothing. And yet, even if that was to that happen. Would, that would be, it would be it would okay. Be so I'm going to share a favorite thing this week um, that was something I discovered over quarantine um, when I know a lot of us were not able to go to our regular upkeep appointments. Waxing has been something that I feel extremely committed to. <laughs> I'll write this down. Um, as in like, I, you know, I, I absolutely hate shaving. It drives me bananas. I've been waxing since I was like 13 or 14 and I feel like I have basically no hair left anyway now because uh, I've done like electrolysis and stuff. But that was before babies. And I don't know about you, Alari, but I feel like every baby brings on like lots of hair everywhere and they everything about you is like growing and plentiful and abundant and whatever. Anyway, all this to say, over quarantine, I had to discover what my at-home waxing options were. And I came across a product on Amazon. I literally Googled like organic home sugaring kit because my family um, is Turkish and like over there they do like sugaring and everything. And so I discovered this thing called Moom, M-O-O-M, organic hair removal kit. The starter kit comes with the wax and the like cotton strips and everything that you're going to use to do it. But um, eventually you just buy like the refills and I have to tell you, it's so genius. You like heat the thing in the microwave for a couple seconds um, and then, I mean, I did it for myself and it was so easy. It really wasn't like anywhere near as difficult as I thought it was going to be and um, definitely just like gave me some of my sanity back. And I was pretty impressed with with um, with my own skill sets, I have to say. So I thought you guys might like to hear about that. Where there's a will, there's a way. Where there's a will, there's a wax. <laughs> There, where there's a well, there's some waxing. All right, guys, That's thanks us. for listening. Don't forget to rate, <laughs> review, subscribe, uh, tell your friends. Let's build our, our mom brain tribe, make it bigger and bigger and bigger. And we'll put all our heads together. Email us your thoughts, your questions, your advice, mombrainpod at gmail.com. You know, we really are all in this together. I love, like, on my own Instagram, I love getting advice from people. You know, I know it's my page, but it really is like a community page. And we, you know, we feel the same way about about this here. We we are um, simply here to facilitate amazing conversations um, and and try to figure this all out. So we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production. <laughs>